You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, shine the light on those monsters. Well, and embrace them. You know, Mm -hmm. it's part of who you are. It's the negative parts, all of the negative things we say about ourselves, all of the ways we beat ourselves up, all the ways we hold ourselves back, you know, embrace those. They are just as valuable as, you know, I mean, who's to say what's right and wrong and good and bad? You know, it's part of our makeup and what makes us uniquely ourselves. That was Martha Alderson, the best-selling author of multiple books, the most recent of which is Boundless Creativity. She joins me to discuss some of the key insights of the book, with the key emphasis that making space for creative pursuits during COVID times is just as important as the other things we need to make space for. Her workbook amplifies and makes explicit some of the spiritual-slash-mythic themes that you see in Start Finishing, so you'll likely hear and understand some of our community's core conversations in new, deeper ways. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Martha, thanks so much for joining me today on this podcast. I've been excited about this for a while because one of the things that I've loved about your book is that it takes a mythic and spiritual approach to um, what turns out, you know, one can say getting things done or manifesting dreams or, you know, fulfilling your life's purpose. It just takes that. And there's a lot of convergence between our books, but I love how direct yours is about um, the journey that people go through. So thanks. Thank you. That's thrilling to hear that feedback. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I imagine um, writing any book takes courage. I'm wondering, um, did it take a specific, a specific type of courage for you to write this book in this way? Sure. Um, I had been, you know, exploring the universal story for years with writers and, and their plots. And then it sort of evolved into their journeys, you know, because every writer that I was consulting with, they were going through the same markers as their characters were. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was developing this. I came up with this video series. And um, and I had wanted to write the book for a long time. And I was thrilled when my publisher, um, you know, gave me a contract and said, yeah, let's go for it. But to be as um, honest and revealing, you know, on a personal level, that was very challenging. I had never spoken about some of what I wrote in there before. And so the opportunity to own my own story, especially at this age that I am, the advanced age that I am, was really amazingly free to, you know, a free feeling. And I, it it was transformative on a level that I didn't expect it to be. Um, So it it was the most interesting book that I've written so far. yeah. Well, you say interesting, interesting book you've written thus far. So you've written both novels and nonfiction books, right? And so um, 
interesting to me in these days is more of a marker to ask more because it's a blanket sort of thing. So um, was it the most interesting book completely, even between your nonfiction and fiction, or um, was it just about nonfiction? And what do you mean by interesting? Well, when I wrote the Plot Whisperer book, which was a plot book for writers, and I had a lot of this same information in that book because I had it both on the plot side and on the author side. Um, but when that book came out, it, it, you know, it was a few years ago now, I got a lot of pushback, a lot of really, really negative reviews that I wasn't expecting. And um, it was crushing. I mean, I then felt like I should not be so spiritual because it was all about energy, about spirituality, about, you know, your internal life and, you know, all of these, what I think are just wonderful, juicy sorts of parts of living. Um, but, you know, you're only bullied if you're stopped and prevented from going after your dreams, you know, by what other people said. And so I realized at a certain point that I had allowed myself to be bullied into changing who I was or silencing myself or limiting you know, my expression, my creative expression. So this book, I just went for it. It was the first um, book that I, fiction and nonfiction, where I really just allowed myself to write what I truly believe in the depth of me. And that was so much fun. I love that. Um as an aside, that was one of the considerations that I used when I was thinking about publishers for start finishing. And it was like, there are, there are different options that I could have gone. I, I went with Sounds True. One of the reasons I went with Sounds True is because it was like, I think if I went to some of the New York houses with this book, they may want to like round out some of those edges and like, like, maybe let's not talk about this sort of spiritual thing. And then we have to talk a little bit about philosophy. Can we just pull that out and sort of stay on topic, you know, or, you know, not offend people. And I was like, I don't, that's, you know, I, I think, especially for me, and this is my writing process is I, like, I have to trust that like whatever comes up, comes out, meaning whatever comes to, oh, to me, nice. I need to get it out. And then I can edit it later, but I knew I was already having these conversations about like, what's my editor going to think and things like that. I was like, I don't want that. Like, I want to work with an editorial partner. Haven was a great editorial partner because I was like, I need someone to see like whatever comes up and then us evaluate where it fits in as opposed to already prejudging that they're not going to like something. And so you're sitting there stuck and looking at a screen and a sentence that you want to write. It's talking to you, but you can't write it. Because you already know it's going to be killed. Oh, God, I'm getting goosebumps. I know exactly what you mean. I, and I think that it's so sad that we, um, you know, ha have those considerations. And what I really do believe, though, is from the time I wrote the Plot Whisperer book to today, things have really shifted. There's a lot more um, acceptance about spirituality um, in a non-religious sense, but spirituality from, you know, the core of who you are. And a lot of the more metaphysical kinds of um, concepts are much more embraced by just mainstream kind of, you know, people. It's not just these fringe 
elements that we maybe the two of us once were, um, it's much more accepted now. And I think people are very curious for it. I think people are hungry for it. You know, they're longing for this deeper connection, especially now with everything that we're facing with the pandemic and the election and the um, protests and, you know, the financial uncertainty and all of that. I think people are are questioning what is important? What's this all about? Why are we here? You know, and for a lot of us, um, there is so much quiet time, not, not for everybody, obviously people with families and having to do homeschooling and the rest of it. But for a lot of people, it's a great time to go inward and really explore the, you know, our purpose. Why did we really come here? It wasn't just to drive fancy cars and wear certain clothes and live in a certain neighborhood or whatever it is that, you know, you kind of decide is the, the pinnacle of success. Um, you know, for a lot of us, we believe that it's, there's a lot more to life than that. Yeah. I, I think that's part of what's going on when we look at sort of the culture movement here is that I think, um, I could say this broadly. Um, a lot of people have figured out the sort of hollowness of an aspiritual life. I love that. Yes. Um, and so I think that's why we see more interest in that because it's like, well, what we've been doing hasn't been working, right? And there's been the stuff that we haven't been able to talk about. I think we see that at the cultural level too when we start talking about race and social issues, right? It's like we haven't been talking about that. We haven't gone there, but not gone, not going there has led to this outcome we don't want to continue to have. Which is so exciting to think that there is so much upheaval now and the status quo is being forced to change and examine things in a new and innovative, creative way. Um, you know, it's just having gone through the 60s, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, it's and seeing what came out of that. I mean, I don't know about long term. I don't know what happened to all of us. You know, we got so caught up in what everybody else got caught up in. But this feels so much deeper and more transformative. And the outcome just feels like it can make things so much better for so many people. Um, and because, you know, in order for one of us to move forward, we all have to have the opportunity to move forward or it's it, like you said, hollow. There's just, I love that word hollow um, because I think a lot of people have evaluated their lives and they just feel like, what am I left with? What am Not I left much. with? And, and none of us want to get to that point to where we realize that we've worked ourselves and we've lived our lives to the point where we become like a walking husk. Right. Of just like the, the things that the dreams, the values, the matters, the things that matter most to us. Right. Um, we just haven't had space for and we've been doing all this work. And then we look and we say, what have I been doing? Like, that's not that's not it. Right. That's not what it. And I think even when we're going through these periods of time, you know, there's so much about changing the status quo. And I appreciate that. And I also love the affirmation about parts of the status quo that actually are are really good for us, right? It's like, oh, we were doing these things um, and we can recommit to doing those. And so as I was reading this, obviously reading your book, I was thinking about other factors going on at large. And I was sort of seeing the universal story that you write about with, you know, an individual, but I was also thinking like, what's the fractal of that that works at the societal and cultural level? 
And I'm going I'm to pause that and, and just, or not pause, I'm going to leave that hanging because I think we need to talk about the universal story because we've mentioned it a few times and to sort of bring others into the conversation with us. So um, please share the sort of the four parts of the universal story so we can use that as a grounding point. Okay. So, and just to give a little background, the way that I came up with it was, you know, Joseph Campbell has his hero's journey and um, he has you know, written about it. And a lot of writers have used that for when they're, you know, the structure of their stories. But I felt like it was too limiting. It was just on the human level. And I was seeing it everywhere, like what you were talking about societally, but also in nature, the lunar cycles, the seasons of the year, you know, all of that. And so I wanted to be able to embrace it as a universal story. And I think if we can see where we are on the universal story at any given time, and we can be in different places depending on the different aspects of our lives that we're um, most active in. But um, so the beginning is, you know, where you're pretty comfortable. Things feel like you've got it together. Um, And if we're talking about like at the beginning of a creative project, say, it's where you're pretty enthusiastic you know, you have all of these ideas of what it's going to look like, how it's going to be, who you're going to be. You know, there's just this sort of um, excitement and passion at the beginning level. But it's a very fragile place to be that we don't always appreciate and how quickly it can evaporate or disappear. And that usually happens at the end of the beginning when we move into the middle. Um, And so it's where you sort of, you know, jump in with both feet and you start to meet the antagonists. You start to face both the internal antagonists, you know, the the ideas, the beliefs, the doubts, um, the emotional traps that we all have. You come face to face with those. Um, but you also meet a lot of external antagonists, you know, people who doubt you or say, why bother or, you know, whatever it is. And it's a testing ground. It's a testing ground to see if you're ready and the tests are only going to get harder. Um, but it's also an opportunity to give you the chance to learn the skills and the abilities and the belief systems that you're going to need in order to prevail to go the distance. And so then the third part is really the darkest part of the universal story and of any creative project and in our lives. And it's sort of where we are now, um, you know, as a society and a world, it's where everything is sort of stripped away and we lose ourselves. Either the project is, you know, that we're working on the creative project is rejected. It doesn't come out the way we thought it was going to, um, you know, our doubts just explode. All kinds of very negative things can happen. And you end up in what I call the abyss, where you're stripped of everything, you lose um, hope. And it's a dangerous time, um, because you can get stuck there. um, If you go into a victim consciousness of, you know, feeling like you're the only one without realizing it's part of the universal story. It's a valuable part. It's allowing you to rid yourself of all the stuff that's been holding you back. 
and going to allow you to be able to transform and come into your own and go into the end, you know, meet all the challenges at the end because they're not going to get any easier. They're just going to get harder. The intensity is going to get harder. But you're changed now. The, 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 after the crisis or the dark night is when the transformation begins and you come into consciousness of, oh, look at what I'm doing to myself. Look at what I'm saying about myself. Look at what I'm, the people that I'm surrounding myself with. No wonder I'm not getting where I want to go. I want to change. And so the end of the universal story is the opportunity to, um, to then overcome all the hurdles that are left for you and all of the, you know, use all the skills and abilities that you learned in the middle, all the belief systems. It's a chance for you to practice them to the point that it becomes mastery, where you really feel like you are the master of your own destiny. And um, then you come up to the triumph and you complete what you were working on or whatever it happens to be. And um, so, and, and by doing that, it gives you strength and confidence for the next time. And so the next time when you go through it, you're familiar with it. You start to see the same, you know, pitfalls and setbacks and reversals and all of those and say to yourself, oh, I've already done this. I get it. It's not the end of the world. I can do this. And each time you go through it, you just get stronger and stronger until um, you're invincible. You're willing to try anything because you know that you've made it through and, um, and once or twice or a million times and you can do it again. That's fantastic. And um, for those people who have read Start Finishing, I'm going to give me a second, Martha, to, to pull people into that conversation because, there, as I said, there's a lot of convergence into work. So if you heard Success Packs, if you heard The Air Sandwich and, he and Head Trash and Competing Priorities, if you heard that, if you also heard um, things around you know thrashing and going into the void, right? you can see that, that Martha and I are talking about the same thing. So if you heard that as you were going through bonus points, right, we're talking... Um, about similar things in, in different ways, again, which is why I really appreciate this approach. And so you might also think about Boundless Creativity as a, or her workbook as um, a companion or as an augmentation for some of the things that we talked about and start finishing. So just going to do that in case you heard those and you're curious about those relationships. I saw them, you saw them. Um, Martha, um, if, if you read the book, you'll see them too. So I think that's very, very cool. And what's great is that we say it differently mm -hmm. and we all learn differently. So Absolutely. some of it is going to resonate, you know, in different ways um, or it will be illuminated. It will be that they might have read something in yours and then they read it in mine and go, oh, I get it. I can see where that convergence is. I understand now on a deeper, broader, whatever level. So I think it's very helpful to hear the same thing in different ways. Yeah, I think of um, these podcasts more, especially when we get into a good pocket, more of like it's two musicians that come together. And so like one person may have like their greatest hit and then you have another person to put their greatest hit in there. And then it's like you kind of hear both, but you hear them both in a different way. And so it's super cool, right? It's super, super cool to jam in that way. Um, I love that. Yeah, something that that really jumped out at me about the universal story, and I, was, I, I had a wondering more. So I'm gonna pose this as a wondering and not as a, a counterpoint. Not, let me put it that way. Um, because I've seen, 
I've noticed that, you know, when you said the third part is the hardest part, I want to sort of qualify that as like, I think that might be true for many people, but I wonder about those people who struggle at different parts of the universal story. For instance, there's a lot of people that struggle in the first stage of even getting started, right? That that's where they may have their own universal story that's happening before they actually start the project. And then there are others who struggle at the end. And like I noticed about myself and in, in, in writing start finishing was a really good test of that. It's like, I don't like the first 20% and I don't like the last 20%. Right. But that 60% in the middle is my jam. Right. Oh, that's and great. That's usually the, that's usually part. the hard part. And so people will be talking, it's like, Oh, it's just, it's in the middle of the hard part. I'm like, this is the, like, I have enough constraints that I know what I'm doing, but I'm not so confined that like in that last 20%, you're like, you know, you're sort of chipping away. And so the middle spot turns out to be my fun spot, but my sweet spot. And that's where I thrive. And so I just want to make room that people may have different ways in which they navigate that. And it may be to your point, Martha, that there are a universal, that there's, they're dealing with a universal story with say their, um, relationship with their worth or self-confidence or something like that, then are walking through that that's keeping them from starting this project um, because they're going through that bit of a journey. And it may not be the project itself that's pulling it up. Well, the project is the catalytic moment. Um, and that that really, I think, teaches us a lot about ourselves. You know, I, I tend to say projects are both mirrors and bridges. They're mirrors because they reflect back what's going on in your inner and outer world completely right so you take on this new project and then all of a sudden your self-doubts and all that stuff start coming up or you take on this new project and then you realize i have no space in my schedule for this or i don't have the team that i need to be able to do this or wow this seemed good when i was thinking about it by itself but now i'm stuck with competing priorities because there's this project and other projects so again it's mirroring what's going on in your inner and outer world and that's what's so great about this type of work that we're talking about is that as you create, you are created. And as you do, you become. I love that. That's beautiful. And so what would you say about, Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I do. I understand what you're saying. And yeah, I know so many writers that I've worked with and creative people that I've worked with who, um, procrastinate to the point that they do never start, you know, it's like, Oh, I've got this great idea. And they might talk it to death. They'll tell everybody that they've ever met, you know, this, their whole life story about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. So when they actually sit down to do it, they have no energy left or they talk themselves out of it by, by all of a sudden all the doubts. Oh, who's going to care? Nobody's going to read this. No one's going to listen to this. Oh, you know, I should spend my time, in a more productive and a different way, whatever. Um, and yes, th- all of that reflects our self-doubt, our emotional traps and our inner life. Um, and so to be able to be free of all of that is then when you're ready to start. So, um, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's just when I talk about the third part, the dark night that to me is the darkest point um and it can be the scariest point because of what that involves um 
And so, the, but the middle, although not for you, but that is a lot of what you were just talking about, about not having enough time, about not being able to do this or whatever, is that even if you have started and you get going and then you start, you know, I mean, I, I would say 75% of the people that I've worked with over the years start to falter in the middle, you know, and they come to me for support um, or they're given up and they want to start over again or whatever. So I guess every, every step along the way, it can be a challenge depending on who we are. And a lot of it can um, be influenced by what I call our backstory wounds, mm -hmm. which are things that have happened or been said to us or whatever in our past that now are influencing our future or our present. Um, that we, it's the, these wounds that have never totally healed that are, you know, broken open. As soon as we start anything new again, these wounds start to ooze and, um, and until we deal with them and bring them out into the light and the fresh air and, you know, look at them, um, we never are going to be who we came here to be, I don't think. That's the beauty. I, I, I guess there's some freedom in here. There's pain in the wounds and there's some weight in the head trash that we carry, right? Of just all those defeating stories. But the thing about it is um, head trash doesn't have to be true for it to have an effect on you. You can tell yourself, I'm a terrible writer, or I'm a terrible creative person, or I'm not a planner, or I'm not this. And it could be completely false, but the weight of that story and how you establish truthiness to it is what does the work. And I think to a similar way, not to, not to um, disvalue the real deep wounds that some people can have and the deep trauma that some people can have, right? Not, I'm not at all trying to disvalue those. I think it's it's I think about it in the way that um, Buddhists distinguish between pain and suffering, mm. right? Pain is what you feel. That's what happened, right? That's the sensation. The suffering is the story we add on top of it, right? And so that's what I loved about um, you know the way that you work through this in the workbook is it helped us to start to work through the suffering of things. Um, not, not acknowledging that the pain didn't happen, but how much of the suffering are we going to hang on to that keeps us in a space to where we're not using our creativity to where we're not dreaming to where we're not doing and that not dreaming, not doing, um, not becoming actually creates another point of suffering for us. Right. Yes. And I think that, um, well, no, I totally agree with what you just said. That's beautiful. Um, I, I mentioned what where I wanted to sort of slide from here is what I love about sort of the model that you put is that you sort of mentioned the threshold guardians at the end of every stage. And um, so my wondering there was how might we know that we're dealing with a threshold garden, uh, excuse me, a threshold guardian versus just the run-of-the-mill trifles that come up, you know, and, and life and things like that. There's a there's a qualitative difference, but I'm just wondering how might we readers start to, like, readers or, or wanderers start to get clearer about that? Well, I, it's, I think when you become aware of what these four stages are, um, 
And when you cross over a threshold into the next stage, um, to understand that it's a ritual, that this is a monumental step that you are leaving behind, you know, the beginning or the be- the beginning of the middle or wherever you are and moving into another phase. And this phase is going to demand other, um, you know, a different energy level from you, a different belief system and a different commitment than was being asked of you before that. So if you're just moving along and, you know, you're coming up against different things, but you're still moving forward without too much resistance, um, then you're still in that phase. But at the moment when you know that what you're going to do next is a change is is asking more of yourself that it's going to take you know you have to be fearless in order to get there you can't be so scared um and you it's just you get this certain sense about um the demands that are going to be placed on you and who you are and if you see this moment as a ritual and the crossing over as um, a vital step, it's like you're really making a commitment to yourself. I'm willing to do what it's going to take to do this. You know, I'm going to have to do things that are really scary for me. I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to have to speak up for myself. I'm going to have to put limits on, you know, and boundaries around me in order to protect my creative space. Uh, you know, and, and so when you are at that point, the reason that I talk about the threshold guardians are because I want you to understand that don't go lightly, you know, see it for what it is and value that you're ready for this next step and, and give yourself credit for that. Absolutely. And, and I'll build on that. Like, don't go lightly. And also don't see a threshold guardian as a sign that you should go the other way. No. Right. As a sign that yeah. Yeah, you run towards the threshold guardian or crawl towards or lean towards however you move to, in that direction. Um, but and I want to call that out because I think if we don't understand the story in this process of doing our best work or doing our spiritual work, we can see one of those threshold guardians. We can see one of those dragons and be like, nope. I'm, that means I'm on the wrong path. Something's wrong. And in fact, it can also be a sign that actually you're on the right path because about things that don't matter, about projects that don't matter to you, about exactly. desires that don't matter, you don't have those dragons. You don't have those threshold guardians. Like no one cares, right? Um, we don't have dragons about taking the trash out, right? Or doing the dishes. It's only these other things that truly matter. So yeah, don't tread lightly, right? Don't do it clumsily, but also don't run away. Right. And understand that whatever you come up against is just you. It's just a different part of who you are, that that monster or that dragon or whatever it is, is something within you. And it's and it, this is a conversation within yourself of, you know, yeah, I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to commit to myself. Um and, and I love what you said about being aware. And that's what I really want is for people to be able to embrace the universal story 
because I think that the more that you understand where you are, what you're up against, and to understand that's part of the process. It's a valuable part of the process. And, and yeah, don't run away. Cause I think our first inclination is, or at least what I hear from a lot of people, Oh, I'm not good enough. You know, Oh, you're supposed to be a different kind of person to be able to achieve this, or I'm not, you know, whatever it is that we say to ourselves, I don't do enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, if we can see that these are moments where we are being tested because tests aren't bad. You know, challenges are there to allow us to see just how powerful we really are because we're born powerful. I think we lose that along the way by the, you know, trying to fit in, you know, other people's expectations, trying to be something that we're not, um, whatever all the things are that come up for us, we lose our light. And so the universal story is a transformational journey to be able to re-embrace who you are and who you really came here to be and to do the work that you came here to do. That's great. And it, it occurred to me that we have a shared assumption that unfortunately is not shared amongst um well, it's not in other circles. And that assumption is that speaking to a challenge, speaking to a dragon, speaking through to a, a guardian does not make it strong or does not make that guardian stronger. It's not like talking about it, right, makes it any stronger than it already is. It's actually the reverse. Talking about it and explaining it and so on and so forth makes it such that you can overcome that. Um, and I just I don't know where we get this, Martha. Maybe you know, but I, there's been this strand in sort of the work of creativity and spirituality and productivity that if you talk about the challenges, if you talk about the dragons, if you talk about the guardians, and somehow that's giving them more strength. So we're just going to not like not talk about them and focus on the positive. And I'm like, we know like not talking about them gives them more strength. Because then you stumble over the same thing over and over again. You see the guardian, you don't talk about it, you don't look at it, you don't go towards it. You do all the sort of circling that creative people will do only to come back to that threshold guardian <laughs> that you never addressed in the first place. So I'm just going to put that out that I think we both share that. Um, and um, yeah, shine the light on those monsters. Well, and embrace them. You know, mm -hmm. it's part of who you are. It's the negative parts, all of the negative things we say about ourselves, all of the ways we beat ourselves up, all the ways we hold ourselves back, you know, embrace those. They are just as valuable as, you know, I mean, who's to say what's right and wrong and good and bad? You know, it's part of our makeup and what makes us uniquely ourselves. And so, um, and I also think that by not speaking about lots of things um, is what keeps us small, you know, by wanting to fit in or not wanting to burden other people or not wanting to come across as needy or whatever, you know, we just deny our truth um, or we're told to deny our truth. Don't talk about that. You know, you're going to make people uncomfortable or that's not acceptable or whatever. And yet, 
the fact is everybody goes through the dark night of the soul. Everybody goes through a crisis. And if we were more open about it and could talk about it without feeling like we're a failure on some level, like we're tainted because we went through this really, really, really hard time, um, it would be so nice for so many people because it would allow them then to embrace themselves and to feel like they're not alone. I think this whole thing of, you know, everybody trying to be polite or fitting in has really been hard for so many people because then they judge themselves harshly. They think that they're not as good as everybody else because they've got this secret or they've got this pain or they've got this suffering or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the way I talk about it and start finishing is that no matter who we are, um, almost everyone that I've met has some story about their being uniquely defective in a way, right? That this thing is my thing. So that might work for Martha. Yeah, Charlie, you can talk about all these things that are good for Martha, but it won't work for me because of this thing. And there's always a, a I thing, love that. Right? Yes. That you're uniquely defective, right? And it's like, how long do you need to hold on to that story? How painful does it need to be for you to realize that actually, we all have like either we're all uniquely defective and we just have our own little bits and pieces that were there or we're all defective in actually the same ways. Right. And so there's nothing that's keeping you from dreaming. You know, there's nothing keeping you from desiring. There's nothing keeping you from doing. Um, you're not uniquely defective, you know? Well, and I think, you know, a lot of the role models and a lot of the, you know, the people that we see that we try to emulate, you know, it's like, oh, look at how perfect they are. Oh, look at how um, they have no flaws. They're, they've never tripped up. They've never made a mistake. They whatever. And it's, and that's not the truth that is, and I guess that's what I really want to get across is, yeah, we all are defective. And even if you haven't had the dark night yet, you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hate to say that, but you will. No, I don't hate to say it because what comes out of the dark night is freedom. It, it is freedom to be yourself. You get to shed all the stuff that you've accumulated over whatever amount of years of other people's stuff. And when you can be released from all that is an incredibly light, buoyant, you know, you have so much more vitality and passion and excitement about going forward in life because you're not trying to be something that you're not. You embrace yourself, you accept yourself fully, and you keep going. I love that. And um, while we're on the topic of embracing yourself and, and really being yourself, like what I was thinking about as I was reading this and preparing for this conversation is it seems like during COVID times, like now, um, many people are having trouble giving themselves space and permission to dream and to be themselves. And it seems like, you know, let's just get through this and then we can start this whole thing of dreaming and being ourselves. But we got to get through this first, right? And so I'm just curious, what would you say to someone who's putting off this sort of dreaming and, and, and being creative for this, like for the once we get through this phase? Well, is to, you know, start to dig deep is to look at that, look at that in the mirror and feel of what that is saying to you. So many people have been on that um, hamster wheel. They've been going a million miles an hour trying to keep up. 
trying to provide for everybody, doing whatever they have to do in order to be successful, um, that, that it's so foreign for them to slow down, to be quiet. Um, I was just talking to a dear friend who I really think has her life so together. And she was saying, I don't take time for myself. It's so hard for me. But she was, you know, she's now a grandmother, but she was a mother for like, I don't know, six kids or whatever it is. And so she was always on the go and she was always providing for someone else. And I think some of that is also a woman's burden of if you take time for yourself, well, maybe for men too, I don't mean to be gender biased, but um, then you're selfish. You're self-centered. You're, you know, you should be giving of yourself to others. You should be taking care of other people. You should be, you know, helping other people. And, but the big thing is until we help ourselves and become fully who we are meant to be, we can't really help other people. We're keeping them small by us staying small. So I just would really encourage you to, um, to take a little bit of time to slow down and be quiet and sit in the discomfort. You know, I was working with someone who said, I can't even do yoga because I can't sit still that long. Um, you know, and some of that could be from hyperactivity or whatever, but I think it's a certain amount of nervousness, you know, it's just this nerved up, I've got to keep moving because then I feel like I'm being productive and I'm being somebody. So my advice would be to just force yourself to sit quietly and embrace the discomfort, you know, write about it paint about it, do whatever kinds of creative things that you like to do, sing a song about it, write a poem about it, whatever, about just how miserable you are when you have to be quiet and be just with yourself. Because ultimately, if you can become friends with yourself and really, um, you know, in partnership with your spirit, you can't even imagine the wonder that you can create and how, um, what a light you can be for others. Yeah. And what I want to acknowledge in this sort of segment of the conversation is that um, depending upon who you are and what you're dealing with, you're, the temporal privilege that you may have is very contingent, right? If you're um, that person that's taking care of extended family members now because of COVID times and, you know, or you're working, you know, a full-time job and a part-time job and you got your other part-time job on top of that, like it may be significantly harder for you to find that 15 minutes of sitting still or that quiet time. Totally get that, right? Um, and so I just, I just want to acknowledge that because sometimes that gets lost in the conversation, right? But even in those moments, right? Even if it's in that drive between you know, home to work, is there a space for yourself, right? Is there, is there a moment of quiet? Is there a moment of serenity? Is there a moment of equanimity that you can create for yourself? And the other thing that I would say to that is if you're not in those sort of situations that I was just talking about and the go, 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 the doing, doing, doing the faster, better, stronger, you know, um, thing is, is leading you to that place of hollowness that we talked about, right? maybe do something different, right? Because more is not working for you. Uh, maybe exactly. less might be the way to go. Well, and I think for the people who are totally stressed, who are taking care of, you know, kids who are homeschooling, who are 
doing, you know, they're the essential workers. They're, you know, seeing a lot of pain and misery and they're really scrambling just to provide for their families. You know, they need it. You need it Mm -hmm. more than Mm -hmm. anyone else. You really, in order, you have to be able to replenish your spirit or you're going to, you know, make yourself sick or, you know, make yourself old before your time or whatever. So by allowing yourself to accept that it's okay for you to take time for yourself, because we can all find it. I mean, I really believe it. You can get up earlier. I used to get up well, I did it this morning too, but you know, at four o'clock in the morning to have quiet time, to be able to really get into that zone of writing and, you know, lose myself in the creative process. Um, or you can stay up a little bit later. And I know that it's tough. I mean, I'm not saying that any of this is easy. None of it is easy, but it's all really worth it. It makes life so much better. And, um, you know, you can have a smile on your face at certain times because you have this internal relationship that is fulfilling and that is feeding you in a way that um, gives you energy and and allows you to keep going. Word. And I'm going to pull up another thread that you mentioned because I, I think it's true. Our, our, our culture socializes women to be the caretaker uh, caretakers of other people. And there's a way in which we socialize women to disvalue their own needs and desires, right? Or even to not acknowledge that they're there. And so what I believe we're both asking you to do here is just go forward, understanding that your needs and desires count just as much as someone else's. It doesn't have to be that theirs always trumps or yours always trump. We just want that to matter. And for your decision to be like, wait a second, if I take this moment to be creative, if I take this moment to work through this, through this journey, if I take this moment for myself, it's um, you're one of the cells that need support too, right? That need and that. I think then you're a role model. You know, you're showing your children, this is important. This is important for me as your mother. This is important for you as a child that we take a moment to be quiet together or whatever it is. Um, or if you're a caregiver, you know, I think people respect it when you take care of yourselves. We put all the pressure on ourselves. And it's a lot of the stories that we've been told that we've really um, integrated and believe. But those stories can be untold and can be changed. And, you know, by putting yourself first allows you then to become a better essential worker, a better caregiver, a better parent. And, um, you know, gives you more patience and compassion and, you know, that those breaths when you can just take a deep breath for yourself. You know, those moments are just critical, um, especially right now with the way things are in the world. I, I think we've talked enough so that I can ask this question in a way that um, will be informative and illuminative for, for folks. Um, so as you were working through boundless creativity, did you reach one of those um, shadow points where you were like, oh, that's something I really need to work on. Like that's, that's a shadow slash nemesis or the, what was it? The dark queen, I think you mentioned um, in there, like that came up for you. And if so, how'd you process and handle that? 
Well, I don't know that it happened so much with this book because I think that I've worked through the, that with other parts in my life. Um, this was really a time of um, of being courageous and fearless and free. You know, I'm at a point where it wasn't important to me about, you know, how many book sales I have or what kind of reviews I get. What it really was, was an opportunity to be able to put my truth out there and just hope and do everything I can to try to get the workbook into hands of people who will most benefit, who will be able to go through the process and make their life better and more productive and more creative. So I didn't really have it. I mean, I have gone through all of that, <laughs> let me tell you. And I've had, you know, um, I've had a dark night more than once. And, um, and I also know what can come out of it. But I also know how dark it can be and how long you can really um, flounder and lose your way and, you know, really do really hurtful things to yourself. Um, but then when you're ready to come out of it and to, you know, have that determination of screw it, you know, so what? I'm doing this. This is for me. This is what I need. And this is how I'm going to do it. The power that's behind that and the forces that come forward to support you. I really believe that there is this sort of um, partnership that happens of when you show up for yourself, then all of these external forces or and internal forces will rush to your aid to support you on your journey. You may, you know, get tripped up along the way and you may suffer setbacks and all the rest of it, but that doesn't mean that those forces aren't there waiting for you and, you know, willing to hold your hand and to make it better. And that's when all the serendipity happens, you know, all these miracles sort of happen. It's like, wow, where did that come from? Or um, who wrote that? I didn't write that. That was, that's beautiful, you know, or you want something to happen and there it is. It happens. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I think that we have to do the hard work in order to get there. It doesn't just arrive on our doorstep. We have to go get it. It's funny because so much of the conversation around creativity and spiritual growth and getting things done at a certain point, it's saying this is hard work and not hiding from that, but also saying it's totally worth doing. Yes. Um, and there's this third nuance of let's not make things harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and that's a hat tip to Liz Gilbert. Um, where When she said that in Big Magic, I was like, yeah, we need to talk about that too, right? Is the degree to which we intentionally make things harder than they need to be for, for the ways in which that feeds other stories that, that um, long-term don't serve us. Well, and I think too, that when we are in the zone, when we do the work and we, you know, face our fears and th this and that and this and that, but when we finally are there doing whatever the creative process is, our, our project is, it is effortless. You're in the zone, time stops, all the external considerations are gone, um, and you're just in that moment of creation. 
where you're creating from who knows where, and it's just miraculous. And when you're done, you're not depleted, but you're lifted up. And, um, and that's what I want to help people get to are those moments of pure bliss where you're just really doing your heart work, your heart's work, and you're getting out of your way. You've let go of all those stories, all the external and internal uh, um, antagonists and all the rest of it, and you're in the creative zone. I mean, there's nothing like it. You know, well, you know, um, anybody who's been creative knows that. And we can touch that over and over and over again if we just allow ourselves to do it. All right, Martha, I'm looking at the time and wow, has it flown? Um, yes, this is so fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I appreciate that. And so, as the guest for today's podcast, um, you get to leave our listeners with either an invitation or a challenge, depending upon which most resonates with you. So, based upon what we've talked about, what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do? I invite your listeners to do what you're most afraid of, to whatever it is that you are really terrified of or afraid of or have held yourself back from. I want you to walk into your fear and do it because when you do it, you will see that uh, just how strong you really are. So I really invite you to, um, yeah, to face your fear, to walk into your fear, to allow yourself to feel that trepidation, your heart pounding, you know, that insecurity, whatever it is, and do it anyway. And um, I think you'll be really um, pleasantly surprised. Martha, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I knew it was going to be a great conversation and it turned out fantastically. Oh, well, thank you. This is really a joy. You're a joy. It was fun to be able to collaborate this way. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listener. So you heard it from Martha. What can you do to face your fears? And you know what I'm going to do to you within the next week, right? Not someday, not someday, maybe later, but within the next week, what small or large step are you going to take to go towards that thing that scares you? Toward that dragon toward that thing that might just be the doorway into your best self and your best life. Mm, I love that. Until next time, stand tall and start finishing. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, We'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.